Good morning, church. Good morning. I hope all of you are doing well. Um, my name is Dustin. I actually get to serve um, over at Arvidea campus. So if you didn't know, um, Connection Church has uh, many locations. We're in Vidalia, Dublin, Millen, um, and also here, obviously, in Statesboro. And so I get to serve as a discipleship pastor and student pastor over there. Um, and it's just a cool thing to be here. Um, one of my, my, just personally, what's really cool about it is I actually got saved here at Connection um, a few years back over when we were at uh, the high school. And now I'm back here, um, got to join on staff with the Connection Church at another campus, but I'm also back and get to preach. And so um, it's just cool to be here. Um, I'm excited. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew uh, chapter 13. We're in a series called Thy Kingdom Come. And the whole idea behind it is uh, we're just looking at what it looks like for the kingdom to come, meaning uh, Jesus's kingdom to come here on earth. We're kind of in a, a weird time, right, where we have believers. Every person who is a believer has the Holy Spirit. And so the kingdom is here on earth, but there's also people who don't. So we're kind of in a, a odd place where when it says thy kingdom come, we want Jesus's kingdom to come, but we're in an odd place right now where um, we have the kingdom in some ways and in some ways we don't. And so, I mean, we're going to be looking at uh, just preaching through Matthew 13, looking at several different of the parables. And so this is what I want to do. Here's a quick rundown. If you're um, an A-type person, you're an organizer, um, however you work, um, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to pray here in just a minute. We'll get rolling. Um, we're going to read a couple verses. I'll pray. And if you uh, are A-type, you need to know how many points I have. And I'm going to have four takeaways, um, four simple takeaways from the parable. And we will um, jump right on in. So Matthew chapter 13, um, we'll be in verses 24 through 30. I'm just going to read 24 through 26, and then um, I'll pray, and we will get um, going. So here we are, Matthew 13, starting in verse 24. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Pray with me, Lord. Uh, we just come here now, Lord, not um, knowing the circumstances of each other. God, I know my circumstances are much different than every person here. But Lord, the one thing that never changes is you. And so, Lord, I pray that we depend on that now, God. I pray that nothing um, I say is of me. I pray that um, it is only through the Holy Spirit, Lord. With me up here talking, it's just a motivational speech with a bunch of words. Lord, if your Holy Spirit doesn't show up and change hearts, then this is all done in vain. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray if there's walls up, I pray if there's blinders on, God, that you would remove them and you would just uh, pierce our hearts with your word, Lord, and that you would um, let us leave here changed and different than the way we came in. So, Lord, we just love you so much. We thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for Jesus and the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So how many of you, um, just to uh, give, get you thinking a little bit, how many of you have ever walked up to a person and started to talk to them a little bit, and when you talk to them, you realize it's somebody different? Right, and it's real awkward for a minute. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, this happened to me not long ago. So when my wife and I moved over to Vidalia to uh, help plant the church, and then I eventually got hired on to be a student pastor and discipleship pastor. So we launched a student ministry, which is 6th to 12th graders. Well, we quickly had two Hispanic kids that were coming to hang out with us a lot. We didn't have many kids, but we had two. And they looked somewhat similar to me, I thought then. Um, but they were both in the ninth grade. And what happened is one of them had placed third in wrestling. And so I'm like, I need to be a good preacher. I need to be a good student pastor. I'm gonna act like I know that you got third and I'm gonna, you know what I mean? I'm gonna act like I know everything, right? Like I'm gonna be the good preacher. I just started, I was fired up. Well, I walk up and I'm like, um, congrats buddy on, on getting third place in state. And he turns back and he's like, uh, that was Ricardo, that's not me, right? And I'm like, Mm, that stinks. You know, it's kind of like that awkward. What do you do? I mean, anybody got any good ideas? What do you do in that situation? I mean, I was honestly trying to look good and then it just got wiped out, right? I mean, the good news is oh, my wife and I did actually end up adopting um, the kid that that happened to. So it's a cool story, right? It all ends great and, you know, happily ever after, all that good stuff. But I tell you that because in the same way that you've had that happen to you, I think this is very similar to the parable that Jesus uses when he talks about the weeds and the wheat. And so if you, if you don't understand that, um, a weed being an unbeliever and the wheat being a believer. And so what I want to do is, and, and this is important to me, I want to read the, the passage again, and we'll read the whole thing, and I'll talk through it just a little bit. But what I know is that if each of you can come to the, to, to the Word of God, to the Bible, and read it and apply it to your life, and it calls you to change, then there's that, that's much more beneficial for the kingdom of God than me having to speak or anybody having to come up here every Sunday and teach you how to do it. 
And so I just want to read it, and I just want to talk through it for a minute, and then we'll get to the takeaway. So here we are, Matthew 13, verse 24. And, and, and another reason we're in this series, I wanted to mention this before we get going, is I want you to think about it this way, and, and it just makes a lot of sense. So the reason Jesus is addressing the kingdom, right, the reason that he's talking about the kingdom in such a powerful and serious way is because they had wrong ideas about the kingdom, so follow me on this. The reason we have speed limit signs, right? The reason we, we drive down the road and we see speed limit 45 is not because people were driving 35, right? The reason we have a speed limit that says 45 is because all of you were driving 65. And so they put a speed limit sign up that says 45. So you would never have that rule. We would never have to put a speed limit sign up if it was never broken, if you're following me. And so the reason Jesus, I believe, has to address the kingdom and why he has to make it so serious and uh, talk about this judgment and the difference between weeds and wheat and how they uh, differ at the end and they look the same at the beginning is because I think people were deceived and they thought differently and Jesus wanted to correct that. And so know that any time in the Bible you read something, you're reading it from, through the lens of, okay, there's a, a reason he's, he's addressing this. There's a reason uh, Jesus is talking about this. So let's pick up in verse 24. I just want to talk through it. So if you're, if you're um, bored with the scripture part, I'll get to the examples and all that stuff later. But let's focus on the word of God for a minute. It says, verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So think of it like a farmer, right? This guy gets a bunch of good seed and he goes out and he sows it, meaning he plants it and he's wanting it to grow. Verse 25, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So this guy comes and brings bad seed, what they call weeds, and goes away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. I want to pull out something right there and I want you guys to know something, focus on something. I'm going to read this verse again. It says, when the wheat sprouted, so it wasn't until it sprouted and formed heads that the weeds also appeared. So what that tells us is that, going back to that example I just used with the two kids looking alike, right, is that the weed and the wheat look exactly the same until they fruit, right, until they produce something. And so if you relate that to Christians and non-Christians, a lot of Christians and non-Christians look exactly the same until one starts producing some different fruit. So it's a very simple concept that Jesus is pulling out here. Verse 27. It says, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Verse 28 says, the enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go up, go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. So the guy asked a good question. He says, so if there's weeds and wheat, why don't I just go walk around and just yank up all the weeds? And he's like, you dummy, you can't do that because you really don't know yet, number one. But if you do start yanking them up and you're wrong, guess what's going to happen? You're going to start ripping up some good stuff when you think you're ripping up bad stuff. And so I think if we relate that to how we are, what that is saying is that Jesus gets to be the judge, not us. I don't have the ability to look into every one of your hearts and say weed or wheat, saved or unsaved. But what I do have the ability to do is to look at your fruit. And I think that's one of the things we'll get to in just a little while. So verse 30, let's finish up the passage. It says, let both grow together until the harvest. And this is where it gets serious. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn, meaning his kingdom. And so if you have your uh, notes, you want to take the first takeaway. The first thing I want to talk about um, and the first takeaway I have is that the kingdom will be different than we expect. The, the kingdom is going to be a much different idea. When we, when we see it, when we, when we understand it, it's going to be different. And the way we know this and the background this a little bit is that the Jews at that time, right, the people that were expecting Jesus to come, they thought when Jesus came the first time, he was coming to say saved, unsaved, and start splitting people up. And what Jesus is saying, he says, no, there's going to be weeds and wheat growing together for a little bit, right? And that's the time we're in now. There's people in here that are weeds and wheat both. And what he's saying is they're going to live together for a while. Hopefully when they produce fruit, when one of us starts acting one way and one goes the other way, we can start telling a difference. But he says, until then, they're just going to grow together. And so when they heard that, they're like, no, you need to start separating now. And the guy's like, no, we're not going to do that. Jesus says, that's not how it's going to work. And so the kingdom's going to be much different. It was different for the Jews, but I think if we understand it correctly, it's different for us as well. 
This is the, the first thing I think about is that the kingdom's going to be full of messy people, right? We think of people that are going to be in the kingdom or people that are Christians that are in the kingdom are going to be people that have it all together on the outside, right? That have the fruit or they look like they have the fruit at least. And that, that could be true for a lot of people, but I think there's going to be some people there. Like if you think that the kingdom of God is only going to be people who wear jeans, boots, and a button-up, then you've mistaken yourself, right? There's going to be people with skinny jeans in the kingdom too, right? Whether that's unfortunate or not, I don't know, but... They're going to be there, right? And so it's not up to us to decide. And this is the coolest part about the cross. This is the coolest part about Jesus coming is that the cross, it crushes the hopeless person, right? Or it cures the hopeless person. It says, the hopeless person, I can give you hope. But what it does also is the person who thinks they're self-righteous and they think they've earned the cross is it crushes that side of it. So think of it as a spectrum. The cross is in the middle. And you have the hopeless person this far away from the cross. And what we think is that the people who look good on the outside are right here next to it. But in reality, they're just as far away. And so what happens is, is you find the cross in the middle and the person that walks in here who doesn't have hope, their circumstances are terrible, their friends are letting them down, they're still um, bummed on about a sin and there's still a sin that's condemning you from 10 years ago or maybe it's even a sin from last night that they're still holding you back. And what it says is you don't have to worry about what you do. I already let you into my kingdom based on what Jesus did. And so the person that is hopeless and doesn't think they could ever do enough, Jesus said, I've already done enough for you. So the person that's on this side of the spectrum, it takes it out. And what the cross does on this side is, which is this is probably the side I fall on the most, is the person that walks in here and says, I have a good job. My family is living somewhat of the American dream. I provide. I don't lie too much. I try not to cheat on my wife. You know, all these things, and the list goes on, and we say, I've earned it. No matter what Jesus does, I've earned it because my life looks good. And what I would say is, is if your life looks good enough to have earned Jesus, there would have been no reason for Jesus to go to the cross in the first place. And so what happens is we find the person way over on this side of the cross and the person on this side of the cross, and we say, you know what? What the cross does is it cures the hopelessness and crushes the self-righteous. And so that idea is huge because what we thought the kingdom coming was going to be was it was going to be separated, right? But what it shows us is that there's going to be different types of people from all types of different backgrounds. And what, what that means is, is that the cross is beautiful, right? is that it's not going to be only white people. It's not going to be only black people. It's not going to be only Hispanics and Chinese and Middle Easterners, right? It's going to be these whole people that come together. And that's what makes the, the, the cross beautiful, is that it takes this inclusive idea, what we think is narrow-minded, and it says, you know what? This is not narrow-minded. Really, all it does is labels you as lost or saved, and everybody has the opportunity to come to Jesus, and it's free. We don't have to earn it, no matter how hopeless you feel. And if you think you can earn it, you can't. And so I don't know where you guys fall on that spectrum, but if you come here today hopeless, know that if you look to the cross, it can start giving you joy and peace and pull you out of your situation. And if you're like me and you come to the Bible and you wake up every day and you're like, I got this on my own, what it tells you is that, no, you can't do it on your own. And so I challenge you to see it in that way. One of the, 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 the next important things I think this does, and I, and I think it's hard, and the last thing I want to tell you about the kingdom being different is that what it does is it starts to show us that the kingdom is based less on us and more on Jesus. And so what happens is we want this kingdom to be full of people who have done all these good things. And listen, I'm going to get to this in a minute. When you have an experience with the cross and your heart gets changed, you do good things. But you don't do good things to get the cross. The cross already came down to rescue you. And so I want you to understand that the kingdom is going to be much different. And listen, if you grow up like I did, you grow up in this society where you think that all it means to be a Christian is to just quit doing a bad, few bad things. And what I would say is there's a whole lot more to that. Jesus didn't die and go to the cross for his kingdom to come so that people had to stop drinking beer, so people had to quit having sex and had to quit doing all these things. He went to the cross so he could give you a new life and give you joy and peace and happiness on earth now. And so it's much different than how we would expect it to be. The kingdom is, is a lot different than how they expected it to be as well. The, number, the, the, the second thing I want to take away from this, and I want to read verses 25 through 28 because I think this is very important to pull from the scripture. It says, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So this enemy comes, right? The guy didn't purposely go and throw out bad things to happen, right? We don't purposely ask God to do bad things to us. We don't say, God, give me bad seed and let me plant it and let it come to fruit. No, none of us want that. But there's an active enemy, enemy that is against us. And so it says, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? 
In verse 28, an enemy did this. And so my second takeaway, the second thing I want you to know is the kingdom will be full of people who were attacked but still pursued. Everybody in here, listen, if you consider yourself a wheat, you're under attack at some point in your life. When you get to the kingdom, you're gonna look back and say, I had to push through that. That wasn't a great circumstance and a great time in my life, but I have to push through it. And so if you're a Christian and you're in here and you're under that right now, I would say, just keep pushing through, right? Keep on keeping on. And at the end of the day, if your situation doesn't get better here on earth, there's a time coming on the day that you get to glory and you get to meet Jesus' face that everything is gonna be better. And so when you look forward to that day, you start thinking, okay, these 70 years are worth sacrificing for 70 billion. And it starts making you think about eternity and these things. And it's like, okay, this kingdom is worth it. And what the greatest part about this kingdom is you don't have to work to get in it. You just put faith in a person that already did the work for you. And so I want you to think about this and start asking yourself, what is it? I know in my life, um, if I'm not intentionally pursuing Jesus, then I'm pursuing sin, right? There's no middle road. We don't stand with Jesus over here and sin over here and say, okay, I'm gonna stand in the middle and juke God out, right? Or we, we don't act like we wanna face Jesus and actually be walking backwards towards sin. We can't look good, but be actually walking towards sin. There's no middle ground, right? God knows everything. He knows our heart. He knows our intentions. He knows us down to the core. And so what you have to realize is that when we're not being intentional about pursuing Jesus, that's when Satan starts feasting, right? Because if we're not being intentional, we're not waking up and saying, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, let me read my Bible and just speak to me. God, let me do what you want me to do. Let me be obedient every single day. If you don't do that daily, before you know it, you will quickly be on a train that's leading you down the wrong path, right? There's no such thing as autopilot set towards Jesus. The way I always explain our spiritual nature is like gravity. So think about gravity for a minute, right? Everybody in here, none of you are actively off the ground. So gravity has a hold of you. The only way gravity can not have a hold of you is by you jumping off the ground, right? And you intentionally have to tell your body, I'm gonna jump off the ground. And for a split second, you have defied gravity. You have won against gravity. But what I want you to see is, is that our spiritual nature is not gravity. Our spiritual nature is the opposite, right? Gravity is what we have been tuned to do, right? When we aren't intentionally jumping off the ground, we're pursuing sin. We don't, we don't just get a heart change and then everything's just great and then great and everything's just going to go and I'm just going to start pursuing Jesus and it's just happy days, right? No. We have to wake up every single day and say, Lord, help me pursue you. Help me to live my life in a way that glorifies you. Help me live my life on a mission that is focused on you. And so it's this big idea that's changed because, listen, there's an enemy that wants you to follow sin in the world. And if we're not intentional about it, we'll do it. Listen, this is one thing I like to do. I just like to be honest with you guys and show you where I'm not intentional, right? So one of the things in my life that's going on right now, and there's been a bunch of stuff. I wish if I could meet with you face-to-face. I'd love to share it with you. But just one thing, right? So one of the things my wife and I are going through, and it's not the biggest by any means, but it's one of the things is we're trying to buy a house. And so if you're like me, one of the things you do is I start reading all the documents, right? I want to be up to date. I want to know. I don't want to be the blind person walking in. I want to know what loan I'm getting, what the interest rate is, right? What the document says, all that good stuff. So I find myself, and quickly before I know it, my focus has nothing to do with Jesus. It is all towards sin because at the end of the day, if I'm not pursuing Jesus, we're pursuing sin. And so what's happened is in about 30 minutes, just me picking up my phone and reading and reading documents of a, of a loan, right? Then all of a sudden I find myself and my contention is completely off of Jesus and all my finances. And that's an easy place to be, right? Think about you. Many of you, you're thinking about your next 30, right? If I can get this 30 out, then I'll be able to retire and be good for hopefully 20. And that's the bargain we're trying to make. And what I would tell you is let's not be so dumb with these 30 years we have now to not be so smart with the 30 billion we get after, right? The sacrifices we make here on earth are much more or much greater than what we're ever going to get compared to in heaven. And so I ask you to ask yourself those questions is what is it that's pulling off? For me, it's finances. I don't know what it is for you. It's easy for me to look at my life and listen, if I told you I wasn't up last night checking Zillow to make sure there wasn't a house I needed to make an offer on, I'd be lying to you, right? I struggle with it every day. Tell people all the time, I don't like have a special closet I go to because I'm a preacher and I get to sit in the closet and like do some crazy spiritual thing, right? Where all of a sudden God speaks to me and I'm good to go. No, I have to wake up every single day and tell myself I need to pursue Jesus. I need to read my Bible because that's how he's gonna speak to me. And at the end of the day, I just need to be obedient to him in everything I do. 
And so we have to be sure to realize that there's an enemy in a world that's gonna try to quit making you be intentional about pursuing Jesus and throw everything they can at you to get you to pursue the world. And so ask yourself, what is it? There's, there's different stuff for all of us, but we have to be asking ourselves, what is it that we have to do? This is how, this is how obsessed I am with money, I guess you could say. And I was thinking about this, and it's not easy for me to tell you guys this, but it's just the reality, so I'm just gonna be honest, right? So one of the things that my wife and I do is we live on a pretty, we live on a budget, right? I'm gonna say it's tight budget because there's tighter, but you know, we live on a budget. So how many of you would agree with me that um, you go to a restaurant, you're willing to make the sacrifice to drink water to save $3? Can I get amen? That is way too much money, right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, look, if I can save $3 by drinking the water, that means my wife and I both can wake up and go to McDonald's the next day and get two for two fifty sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits. I mean, you are crazy if you don't think that's worth it, right? More food, less, less drink. That's worth it every day, right? So one of the things I did and one of the sacrifices, right, I'm telling you, like, it is easy for my mind to start thinking 30 years out and start being so worried about my finances. So one of the things that happened is Valentine's Day came up not long ago. It was like six weeks ago, but it seems like it was, what, three years ago. I don't know. But so one of the things that happened is we were actually over here in Statesboro and we were going to go eat at Olive Garden, right? So we get there and... You know, the moment is great. I'm like, dang, I got to make a sacrifice to my bank account. But it's okay because it's for my wife. It's an eternal investment, right? It's okay. I'm just kidding. I had a gift card. <laughs> That's why we were going to Olive Garden. <laughs> but I really did have a gift card, so that is true. But I'm sitting there. Listen, this is how obsessed I am with money. I sit in there, and I have my arm around my wife when we get into the walk-in uh, little lobby area, you know, over there. And I have my arm around her. It's kind of a romantic moment, like no kids for a minute, you know. It's just us for lunch. Arm around her. She looks up at me with the biggest smile, and she's like, can I get a real drink? And I'm like, I'm like, what is this? Listen, some of you, listen, if it, all it takes is a Diet Coke to keep my wife thinking it's Valentine's Day every single day, I'm in. Amen. I mean, some of, you, some of you guys have been married for 50 years, longer than I've been alive, and y'all haven't got that good, right? So <laughs> I'm just kidding. But listen, I tell you all of that. Listen, I, I tell you that, and we laugh, and it's funny. But I tell you that because, listen, that's how easy it is to focus more on money, your kids, even your spouse, more than it is Jesus. Because this is why I would tell you, if you put more of your focus on Jesus, your money problems will take care of themselves, your marriage problems will take care of themselves, your kids' problems will take care of themselves. Everything will start falling into the priority where it needs to be. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, it's money for me right now, right? We put an offer in Friday. I can't wait to hear what they say back. Foreclosure, great deal, right? But that's all I've been worried about. And I have to fight it every single day. But I ask you, what, what seed would you say the enemy is sowing in your field right now? Like, what is it going on in your life? Listen, Satan's trying to attack you somehow. If you think you've beat Satan, you have deceived yourself, right? First John said, if we think that we are without sin, we have deceived ourselves. And so ask yourself right now and be honest. What is it going on in my life that maybe I need to repent of or maybe I need to give Jesus more of, right? I promise you that every time you make a decision to follow Jesus over taking the low road and pursuing the world, you will be more joyful at the end of the day. Every day you lay your head down on your pillow, if you say, I made my decisions as eternal investments and I made my decisions so that Christ can be supreme in my life, you will go to bed with a comfort and a joy that will be inexplainable. And listen, I, I've been there, right? I, was a, I had the college athlete thing where I could just go and just drink all the uh, alcohol I wanted, right? And I could have girls and I tried them and tried them. And it's like a spectrum, y'all. It really is. When, it's, when you're young, it's like kids. And all you want to do is when your kid is be a pro athlete, well, then that dream goes and it's like a spectrum and you're just waiting to fill these things out. And then you go to college and you're like, okay, maybe if I can be the one that drinks the most, and then you may be the one that can get the most girls and then it's make the most money. And then it's live the American dream successfully. And what you realize when you start following that spectrum is Jesus is at the end of it. Every single time, I don't know where you're at on it, but when you get to the Jesus part, the rest of it is gonna be like nothing. And luckily, the Lord saved me at a younger age, and so I just ask yourself is, what is it? Maybe you haven't surrendered your entire life to Jesus. You haven't surrendered your entire heart to Jesus, but I will tell you, there is so much joy found in doing that. You don't have to keep climbing the ladder of all those endless things on that spectrum just to have the ladder ripped out from under you every time so you fall flat on your face and you feel miserable. Build your life and climb the ladder that's never going to fall out from under you. 
Because Jesus is faithful and he's going to be there every single time, no matter what your circumstance is. And so ask yourself, what is it? What is Satan sowing that he's trying to get you to climb? What, what is it on that ladder that he's wanting you to just take a few steps up so he can yank it from you and make you miserable? The third thing is this, and the third takeaway, I'll probably spend the most time on this one, is the kingdom will be full of fruit-producing people. In other words, the kingdom will be full of people who produce fruit. And you say, well, Dustin, how'd you get this? I wanna read verse 26. Again, it says, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. I told you guys to notice earlier that the, the, the heads didn't produce, right? We didn't tell a difference in them until when? Until they produced something. And so I want to make a, a connection right here, and I hope you can follow me for just a minute. But think about this, and, and I'm going to take a, wheat, uh, a, a plant, right? The wheat, is a, the, the, the lifespan of wheat is about four months. So from the time it's planted to the time the farmer comes and harvested, it's four months. I want you to take our life as being 80 years. So that means one month of the wheat is worth 20 years of our life, right? Math freaks, I get that right before I bother you and go on? Yep, okay. So, so I, I got that. So think of it as dog years. If you can't think of it, one year of a human is equal to seven years of a dog. So you understand the concept I'm pulling from. So this is what I would tell you is after about a month, they say that's when you can start kind of starting to see the first instances of whether it's gonna be a wheat or weed. So after 30 days, a farmer can go out and kind of check it and say, okay, it's grown just a little bit, but it's starting to look like this, so it's probably not gonna take a good path, right? That means that it's probably wheat, not weeds. And so when you start producing things, it's like, okay, that's gonna be wheat, that's gonna be weeds, and at 30 days, you can start doing it. So this is a comparison I wanna make. For 10 years of my life, almost that first 30 days, right, I thought that I was saved, right? I thought that I had it. I thought I hadn't been deceived. And the reality was I was, and this is how I found out and knew is because what had happened is that fruit that I was producing, I wasn't producing any, right? And the fruit I did produce was miserable. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, if you look back on a time when you say you got saved 10 years ago, I'm not trying to be the breaker of bad news, right? Or whatever the saying is. All I'm trying to say is look back to the time when you said, I want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And have you produced any fruit since then? Something, right? There's not one mark of any fruit that you can say you're saved, but has there been something? Do you have a desire to serve? Do you have a desire to tell others about Jesus? Do you have a desire to get in a connect group so you can surround yourself with accountability and people that you can do life with? Do you have the desire to be generous with your time and your money, right? Those are our four cultures of our church, right? Because that's the marks of believers. Those things should be happening. And if you say your heart's been changed, if you say this moment happened a few years ago, then there should be some fruit that's coming from your life. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, because if not, and if you are producing fruit and your heart hasn't been changed, it's going to be miserable. The next thing I would tell you about this whole producing fruit idea and what is easy and what I did for a long time is we become much more concerned with um, what we don't do than what we do do. I didn't want to say that fast because it was sound, it's like something else, right? <laughs> but we, we think about it. We become more concerned with what we don't do than what we do do. And so I, I got to figure out another phrase, don't I? We become more concerned with what we don't do rather than what we are actively doing for Jesus, right? So, so what happens is, is we, we really do. So think about this. When I, when I first became a Christian, this is what I thought, and most of you will probably fall in the same category because we grew up in a similar culture. All it said was don't have sex, don't get drunk, um, stop lying, stop cheating, stop stealing money, right? Stop doing all these things. And so if I came up to you and asked you, what makes you a Christian? But after you said the cross, I would ask you, well, what is it? And if your list is all the things you don't do, I would say that's, you're probably miserable, right? Jesus didn't die to take your life and take those fun things from you. He died to give you life and give you life in abundance, which comes from your heart change that changes your desires. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, like, is it what you do? Is that the fruit in your life? Are you, are you wanting to go to the ballpark? And when you get done taking your kids to the ballpark, you're like, hey, let's, let's take this family out to dinner because they have never seen the love of Christ. And I think if we just take them to eat after this ball game, we might could show them something that Jesus showed me on the cross. And then you start doing little things like that. And before you know it, you're starting able to share the gospel. And then people start meeting Jesus and people are getting saved in living rooms rather than church service, which is just as good, right? And so I challenge you guys to ask yourself that. Listen, we have a great opportunity coming up in the next two weeks. We live in a culture that we have a very um, uh, special 
uh, privilege, I guess you could say, right? If we were in a, a Muslim country and we invited somebody to a Christian church service and they're not a Christian, what, they're going to be like, no, why would I go? But we live in a culture where people are willing to come to church even if they haven't had a heart change, if they're not saved. And so I challenge you guys the next two weeks, listen, invite, invite, invite. We have a great family opportunity. There's going to be jumpies and food, right? At least they'll come for a free meal. Maybe they'll get saved. Who knows? But I challenge you guys to invite. Easter, we're going to have baptisms. Let's get people here because we know that Jesus is going to be lifted high and the gospel is going to be shared, which can lead to somebody's heart changing and then salvation. And that's why we do this whole thing, right? We don't do it for us. We don't do it for um, any one person. We do it for Jesus. That's why I'm on board with it. That's why it's out there on the wall. It's because we do it because we want to see people get saved. And if that has never been a fruit that you have wanted to produce, you don't have any desire to see anybody around you get saved, then I would ask yourself to just question a little bit, was your heart change real? Are you banking on something that just happened and it just uh, you're on a spiritual high for a little bit? And I don't say that to scare you guys. I don't want that to ever be what it is, but I challenge you to do it because this is what happens. And listen, this is what happens in my life. We start comparing ourselves to things that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to. Think about it like this. If I, if I, if I compare myself to a baby, so if I compare myself to a baby, I'm, I'm big, I'm fast. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm better looking than a baby. Um, I'm richer than a baby, right? And the list goes on because I'm comparing myself to a baby. It's relative. Now put me in a room with LeBron James. I'm poor, I'm slow, um, I'm unathletic, um, I can't do anything, right? He's just better than me. And so I can't do, there, there's nothing I can do. Comparison is relative. So what happens is when we start focusing on those don't do's, we start focusing on comparing ourselves to somebody who we know is actually maybe a little less good of a Christian, if that's such thing, right? And that comparison is relative. What I would say is let's not compare ourselves to babies or even LeBron James, right? They're what we think is the best Christian. Let's just compare ourselves to what the Bible says and what Jesus said. I hope that makes sense to you because it's such a miserable place to be where you're focusing on comparing yourselves to other Christians even. Don't compare yourselves to how much they do or what they give or what not. Just give your whole heart to the Lord and then just start taking steps of obedience. One step at a time. We don't have to overcomplicate this thing. But what we have to do is we have to be willing to ask ourselves is what is the fruit that's being produced? Is there anything that's coming out of it? One of the things that I always think about and, and one of the things I know that's true with me producing fruit is I have to be more focused on Jesus than I am the sin, right? And the way I, y'all think about this, when you produce fruit, the way you produce fruit is not by trying to quit sinning, Right? We don't say, I'm going to quit sinning and focus on that sin. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to stop lusting. I'm going to stop chasing after money. I don't focus on money to stop chasing money because what's my focus on? Money. What I, the way I stop doing those things is by focusing more on Jesus and making Jesus more attractive in my life. And the way Jesus becomes more attractive in our life is by reading the Bible and letting God speak to us through it. And so I challenge you to ask your guys, the, the, the example I always think about is this, is when I was on my senior year of high school, we were pretty good baseball team. We had made it to um, the, the, uh, the state championship the year before, and we were expected to do well. Well, we got into a situation where there was a four-way tie. So it all came down to one game, if, the last game of the year. If we won, we got the two seed. So only four teams make it. Pretty good. If we lose, we get the five seed. So we don't make the playoffs at all. So it's a pretty big game. So we get into the game. Um, it's like, I think it's like seven to five-ish. I don't remember what the score is. We're down by, we're up two. And there's two guys on base. Uh, they're, they're one, two, and three hitters where they're by far their best hitters. They put me in the pitch. It's the last inning, two outs. All I have to do, or no outs, I have to, all I have to do is get the, the, the inning ended and we win and we go to the playoffs and it's all good, right? Well, I tell you, there's, we're down two and there's two people on base because I'm foreshadowing that if they hit a home run, they win the game and we don't make the playoffs, right? So anyways, what happens is um, I get the first two outs. The guy's on first and second still. Um, I get the first two outs. The third guy comes up. Well, the first pitch he wants to throw is a fastball. Well, this guy's like a, I mean, huge. He's ready to hit a bomb. So I'm like, no, I'm going to throw two sliders in a row. So first one I throw, he puts fastball down. I'm like, no, I shake off the coach. Can't do that, right? I'm telling the coach what's going to happen. So he's like, okay, puts down two. I throw slider, strike one. I'm like, yep, that's right. Coach don't know what he's talking about. Next pitch, right? So it's uh, 0-1 count. Next pitch, another slider. I throw it for a ball. Well, this time I'm like, dang. Okay, well, now it's 1-1. Now I probably got to listen to the coach. Nope, 
Joker puts down fastball again. I'm going to go three sliders in a row, right? Well, after the second pitch, I shook him off. He's mad. I mean, I can see his face red. I look over there, and I kind of put my hands up like, why are you mad? And he takes his foot and just kicks a bucket of balls, right? And just baseballs are going everywhere. He's, he's throwing a tantrum. All this kind of crazy stuff is going on. And so what happened is I just started focusing on the coach. I was like, dang, I got to talk to him after the game. Like, I'm going to tell him how much I'm going to have to run, right? Well, it didn't matter because the next pitch, I throw another slider, and it was a hanger, and the dude hits a bomb, and the season's over, right? So I didn't have to face him after. But listen, I tell you that whole story because the way that I would have got the guy out was by focusing on the guy, right? The way that I got twisted and what got messed up is that my focus switched. Something became more attractive to me than the batter, and that was my coach pitching a tantrum, right? So coaches, don't do that. But if, if I would have been less focused on that and more focused on the person I was throwing to, I, I probably would have had a better chance of getting them out. And so I tell you that, and I want to relate it to what it's talking about here in the scripture is when you're producing fruit, the way we do that is being more focused on Jesus and letting Jesus be more attractive to us than anything the world has to offer. And what I know is the world is coming after you. The world is going to throw a million things after you. You know it's coming, but this is what you have to do. And the only way Jesus is going to stay more attractive than the other things is if you're actively coming to him every single day. If not, it's going to be a whole lot easier for things to start coming up. And so the way we produce fruit, the way we stay focused on Jesus to produce the right fruit that is actually an overflow of our heart is by keeping Jesus attractive. And the way that happens is by spending time with God. The, the, the next thing I want to talk about with fruit, like I said, this is just the one I feel like is the most important because it's what separated the weeds and the wheat, is this. is I want you to think about how, how kids are produced. I guess that's the best way to say it, right? So I don't know if that makes sense, but anyways... If you think about this with me, if my wife and I want to have a child, what do we do? Do we just say, hey, child, right? And we just focus on the child to come. Is there ever going to be a child? No, right? What would I have to do is I have to have intimacy with my wife. And through the intimacy with my wife, guess what happens? A child comes, right? So simple. I don't need to go any further into details, right? So if you think about this with me, I want you to think about in the same way. If my intimacy is good with my wife, then we may have kids, may not, right? There may be something else. But if you think about this with the Lord, think about your intimacy with God. If you have intimacy with God, there's going to be fruit from it. And your fruit that is produced is going to be through an intimate relationship with God rather than you just focusing on the fruit. Because if you focus on the fruit and you're only worried about focusing on the fruit so you can look good, you're going to be miserable. And I did that for a long time in my life. And I would tell you, if you would just ask God to change your heart, and if you would put your whole faith in Jesus and follow him, then that rest of it will take care of itself. And when you do serve, when you do get into accountability group, when you do get into a connect group, when you do start giving to the church, when you do start being generous, when you start sacrificing so people can meet Jesus, it becomes a joyful thing, not something you have to do. But if you do it without a changed heart, you're going to be miserable. And so I challenge you just to think about it. The fruit you produce, is it an overflow or is it something that's not fun, right? It's not fun for anybody. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, and this is the last thing I want to talk about with the fruit idea. And, and it's kind of where the, I guess the rubber meets the road, if that's what you wanted to say. But there's two ways that we produce fruit, right? One way is what unsaved people do, what I was talking about. One way is what saved people do. There's two ways to holiness. You can see it as that. There's two ways to glorify God. The first one is we do it for us, right? We do it for, for people to look at us. Like there's benefits to being a Christian, right? If you're a Christian and you're an ethical person or you're a moral person, you're probably more likely to get hired by a business, right? There's benefits to being a Christian in our society, but you do it for yourself. Well, that's what the one side of it does. One side does it because they've looked at the cross and they said, when I looked at the cross, Jesus changed my life and changed my heart. So now everything I do is going to be an overflow of what Jesus did in my life. And so if you think about those two roads, you have to ask yourself, which one am I on? Because one's miserable and one's not. One is done by saved people and one's done by unsaved people. And when we start limiting a relationship with God and we start limiting to what Jesus did on the cross to what we don't do, it becomes miserable. When you're actively focused on the mission and Jesus, sin in the world will take care of itself every time. If you become more focused on Jesus and the mission, all that other stuff will start taking care of itself. And so this is the question I want to ask you, and this is where it starts getting kind of real, right? Is what fruit are you producing? Because I know this was true in my life for a long time is because I was producing weeds and hoping for wheat, right? 
everything I was planting, everything I was doing in my, in my field, so to speak, in my life was pointed towards weeds, but I was hoping for somehow wheat to grow. And so I challenge you to ask yourself that. What, what is it in your life that maybe if you focus more on Jesus and the mission, the rest of the stuff will take care of itself? And this is the last takeaway I have, and it's a pretty serious one, so I want to make sure I talk about it. And, and it's this, number four. I want to read verses 28 through 30 to talk about it. It says an enemy did this. He's talking about sowing the weeds again. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? So do you want me to go yank all the weeds out? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, right? Jesus will be the judge. First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, which is scary. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And so from what you've produced, right, not, this is not a works-based thing. Let me be very careful to say that. We don't produce fruit to become wheat. We produce fruit because of the work Jesus did, and because of what Jesus did, we get to be wheat. But I ask you to challenge yourself, and my fourth takeaway is this, is that the kingdom will be full of people who pass the judgment, right? Now, and listen, I hope you hear this from the bottom of my heart. I don't talk about judgment day because I want to scare you, right? I don't want to say, if you don't repent, go, you're going to hell. And that's true, right? But I don't want you to run to Jesus because of that. I want you to run to Jesus because of the love he displayed for you on the cross. And so this is what I want to ask you is when that judgment day comes, what is it? And this is what I would tell you is it's like an athlete. You hear people talk all the time about athletes, right? When you train and you train and you train, you train for game day. Well, think about judgment as game day. And you live your whole life. And when I'm an athlete and I want to do well, I work harder and work harder and work harder so that the game day is easier. If I work harder than game day, then I'm going to do well. And so if you think about judgment day, for some of us, judgment day, when we meet Jesus and he judges us, we're going to say, man, I did this work. I wish I probably could have done more, but I did this. And Jesus is going to say, well done, good servant, right? And what a beautiful thing that is. What a beautiful thing it is that we get to meet Jesus face to face on judgment day. But here's the thing. What a scary thing it is if it's the opposite for us. The scariest thing and the most beautiful things can be in the Christian life, go hand in hand, right? Like think about the relationship with God. It's, it's great because if you think about it with me, um, the, the, the most beautiful part of Christianity is that it's all between you and God. I have no say so. I cannot look into anybody's life in this room and say you're saved or you're not saved. I can look at fruit and hopefully tell if you've had an experience with Jesus or not. But I have no decision, I have no final decision to look and say you're saved or you're not saved. And that's beautiful because it's up to you and God. But it's also scary. And you say, well, why is that scary? Because I can't look at you and tell you. I wish I could. I wish every person that's not in here is, that isn't saved or somebody around me that's not saved, I wish I could tell them, be like, look, look at what Jesus did for you. And I would. I would just sit there. I wouldn't even argue with you. I would just try to just show you the love of Christ and just plead with you how good he is and how good God is. But you have to ask yourself, is it going to be scarier? Is your life beautiful right now? Because it's one or the other. And listen, for everybody in here, I'm not saying judgment day is just going to be nice and easy and none of us should have a little worry. But I know this is that if you think back to that example I used with producing kids, right? Think about it this way. How many of you know families that run around and they have like 10 or 20 kids, right? And they're just kids everywhere. Well, this is one thing you don't wonder about the mother and the father of all those kids. You don't wonder if they're having an intimate time together, right? You don't wonder how good their intimacy is. And the reason is, is because of all the fruit you see in their life. And so I wanna compare that now with your spiritual walk with God, right? If you have abundant fruit and everything's just going and you're sacrificing for the mission and every day you're waking up and say, I wanna glorify God more and more each day, then you have nothing to worry about because there's fruit everywhere, right? There's babies everywhere. But if there's no intimacy with God, guess what? There's not gonna be much fruit. And if there is fruit, it's miserable. It's not fun for you. And so I challenge you to ask yourself, which one is it? Is it fun at all? Because I think this is where our heart starts getting checked. And listen, I don't say this at all because I think that I have it all together. I, I, listen, I, I wake up every day, like I was telling them, I may even said this earlier. I don't like going to closet and I'm like this spiritual person that had this connection with God and I'm good to go before I come up here. No, 
I just have to look at the cross daily and say, you changed my life a few years ago, so I'm gonna follow you every single day because of the love you showed me on the cross. And that's what we all have to do. It's not, let's not overcomplicate this thing. Let's just look at the cross every single day and read our Bible so God can speak to us and just start taking steps, start producing more and more fruit as we go. And that's what it's gonna be. But when that's not the case, then it's scary. And listen, I hope you don't hear me talking about Judgment Day as a time to scare you. I think if I call myself a preacher and if I wanna preach the Bible, that's the main part of this passage is that are you a wheat or are you weed? Is your, is your life producing things that are valuable for the kingdom or is it not? And listen, this is what I would say is if you're banking on an experience from 10 years ago, I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're banking on an experience from 10 years ago, like I did, right, where you say, okay, I put my faith in Jesus and I was on a spiritual high for a little bit. I produced fruit for a short time. Let me tell you, false salvation will produce fruit for a short time. True salvation will produce fruit for a lifetime. And so you have to ask yourself, listen, don't hear me saying there's not gonna be seasons. There's gonna be seasons. There's days where I don't wanna wake up and read my Bible. There's days where you don't wanna wake up and read your Bible. There's times in your life where you're just in a tough spot and you're like, I can't do this. And understand that. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, am I looking more and more like Jesus? Question they ask here a lot is, do I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? And do I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today? And you have to answer that down in your heart because if Jesus has changed your heart, then the answer to that is yes. But if you're banking on an experience, listen, I did it for so long in my life where I thought I was saved at 12 and I got baptized and it was great. But what I can tell you is I may have produced a little bit of fruit along the way, but there was nothing. I was miserable when I did it. I did it so people would look at me and say, well, he's a pretty good Christian boy. And it led me down to miserable, miserable places because then I'm having to play this toothpaste game. Like, what about my friends who invite me on Friday nights? Well, what happens if I see my church friend at the bar? And I was in that situation all the time. And I started realizing the reason I'm there is because I hadn't really surrendered my heart to God. I haven't said, Lord, just take my life. I wanna follow you with everything I have. And so I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to ask yourself, has your heart been changed? Is the fruit that you're producing is it there? And listen, if, you're, if it's not and you've been saved, then I tell you, start doing things. Don't bank on the things you don't do. Start actively trying to make disciples. Start sacrificing in your house. Start showing love to people that you encounter every day. Listen, God gave you a circle of influence so that you can take the gospel to them and start using it. And this is what I, I wanna conclude with. And this is the question that we um, get asked. And this is the, the place where we find ourselves is, um, we read this passage a lot of times and it's kind of backwards, right? Most of you are probably like me and this is where I, God hit me hard this, this week is I read this passage and I'm thinking, oh, sucks to be a weed. But there's just so much more to it than that. And what I think it is, is we read it backwards. And it's a major heart check. The desire to produce fruit doesn't come from us seeing ourselves as the pretty wheat, but rather remembering we were all once the filthy weeds. Even if you have been changed, we were a filthy weed. The weeds that were deserving to be burned is us. We were all deserving of wrath. The fact that we are wheat is the grace of God and not by our own actions. Real fruit can start being produced when we realize our need for repentance rather than continuing in our empty attempts to please God. There would be no reason for God to have done what he did if we could have already pleased him with our actions. And so we have to read this as we're the weeds. You see, so many of us read this parable as if we are the wheat, but the reality is we're much more like the weeds than we want to admit. The weed that you know best is you. The weed that I know best is me. Most of us walk around in small town America like we deserve something or that we've earned what we have or that we're gonna get what we deserve. And the reality is we all deserve hell. That's why we call it grace because we don't get what we deserve because of the beautiful savior of Jesus. And so I challenge you to ask you, have you had a heart change? Have you seen Jesus in that way? Because what I can tell you is the cross looks greater and greater the more you see your sin. And if you never looked at yourself and said, I'm messed up and I'm sinful, then the cross doesn't look very good to you. But what I would tell you is if you would, could have saved yourself like you are trying, you would have done it a long time ago. And so ask yourself, have you put faith in Jesus truly? Are you producing fruit? If not, maybe today is the day that you say, I want my life to change. 
I want to put faith in Jesus. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says he takes a heart of stone and puts a heart of flesh in there. And says he gives you his spirit. And what that spirit does is it causes you to start producing fruit in a good way. It starts producing fruit in a joyful way. It's a lot more than just showing up and serving because it's, yeah, I wish I was turkey hunting, right? But you have to ask yourself, is the sacrifice worth it? Is the internal investment worth it? And a good way to ask yourself and a good indicator to know is, is my life looking like Jesus? Is there fruit in my life? And listen, I hope you don't hear me saying this to scare you. But I do challenge you to ask the question now. We're going to give you the opportunity to put faith in Jesus. I told you, if you're banking on it from a long time ago, I would challenge you right now to check your heart and say, have I really put faith in Jesus? Has my heart changed? Because when it does, it overflows to every area of your life, your friends, your spouse, what you do on Friday nights, it even overflows to. And so if you haven't done that, I challenge you now to do that. And we have some people here that want to pray with you and talk with you through it. We want to celebrate with you. And so if you're here and you want to put faith in Jesus and say, today is the day of salvation. I don't have to wait for heaven because I can have that joy now with the Holy Spirit inside of me. And you get that when you put faith in Jesus. And so is there anybody in here? I challenge, Just raise your hand if you want to put faith in Jesus. You say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm give you just a couple seconds. We got people that want to pray with you. Anybody in here? What that means, and this is, listen, that's, it's always kind of awkward. I understand when nobody puts their hand up. We want them to all clap. But here's the thing, and this is what I know, is there's always a way to be producing more and more and more. And listen, just hear me this. We don't produce so that we can please God. Listen, we all, it, that's how the world works. You go to Zaxby's and you give them money, they give you food. That's not how Jesus works. You don't give him works and he gives you the cross. No, he gave us the cross, so therefore we want to show people the cross and so I challenge you to go out this week and do that and I challenge you to make sacrifices right like when you're talking about going to the ball games when you leave whatever the small things are just show generosity show the love of Christ to people because if you truly believe it will change somebody's life like it did yours then you will want to so I challenge you, and listen, any sacrifice you make to show the love of Christ to somebody will not compare to the sacrifice Jesus made for us. And so remember, these are all eternal investments. It's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. We don't have to worry about the wheat and weed thing. If we'll just focus on Jesus and the mission and the sin in the world will take care of itself. So this is what I wanna do. I just wanna pray for you guys and we will be dismissed. Lord. We just come to you now just thankful for everything you're doing um, in our personal lives, God, in my life. And Lord, I just pray for each person here, Lord. I don't know their circumstance. I don't know what they're going through. I don't, I don't know what fruit it's maybe that's bad fruit, what's good fruit, Lord. But I pray that we could just fix our eyes on the cross. And Lord, I pray that would be supreme in our life. God, I, I pray that we just, as easy it is for me to get concerned with my finance and that's all I worry about, Lord, I don't know what it is for these people, but each person in here, I pray that you would remove it and I pray that you would let their focus be completely on you. And God, we just come to you now just thankful for who you are and your goodness to us. And we thank you for Jesus on the cross and it's in his name we pray, amen, amen. See you guys next week. Bring somebody back with you.